Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 131 of To The Point. I'm Rachel Lyon. Here with our host, Eric Trexler. And Eric Trexler, I'm excited. We're changing it up today. We're recording on a Friday afternoon. Feeling a little different? I was going to comment. It was a big week of cyber activity. We're ending the week with a recording and and an amazing guest. So it's exciting. I am so excited for today's guest. Mariam Bax is here. She is a cybersecurity policy reporter for NextGov. She's got a front row seat at all the awesome stuff that's happening today. Welcome, Mariam. I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you. It's good to be here. So we were talking a little bit earlier, and I, I would love to go to the beginning here. Um, you know, you, your roots are in investigative journalism, which I, I think is so appropriate, right? When we look at cyber, so much of it is about following the breadcrumbs. Uh, like an episode of CSI, you have to pull it together, but it's incredibly hard work. Um, and I, I'm just kind of interested, like what, what drew you to investigative journalism? Um, I just wanted to get beyond the talking points, you know, um, and you would read articles and so many of them will say, well, this person said that and this other person said this other thing. And that's the article. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> well, which one is it? You know, who's right? Right. So right. it was just that instinct to want to dig deeper. Um mm-hmm. So you pick cyber where attribution is almost impossible. We've got problems everywhere. This is good. Well, in all fairness, and I'm so glad you mentioned attribution, right? That's like the biggie. But um, yeah. in all fairness, I think cyber kind of picked me more, more like. Um, I did pick tech policy. Um, I was very attracted to net neutrality, um, which led me to go back to grad school in the first place. Um, and very generally interested in tech issues. It's still one of the things that's so attractive about it is that like policy is constantly emerging because technology is changing. So you have these lawmakers who are like, how do I feel about this? And it's not really clear where the partisan lines are, you know? So like, for example, on some of these competition issues or, um, uh, sorry, uh, um, section 202 issues. And, you know, you've have, people who are on both sides of the aisle sort of trying to figure out what they want to do with this. So I was attracted to tech for that reason. And then um, I think cybersecurity is just where the demand is, honestly, in journalism, Um, because I was looking for jobs and that's where that's where the jobs were. And, you know, initially I was a little bit disappointed having to like or at the thought of having to move from tech more generally to cyber. Um, but I was te- as, as I was telling Rachel, you know, it was totally unwarranted for me to feel that concern because cyber is so interdisciplinary. Like, you know, you've got international relations yeah. angles. You've got the antitrust stuff is still there, even though it's not talked about as much. Um, and just the general sort of like, you know, federal government regulation versus the free market. And it's a very dynamic space and I'm grateful to have ended up here. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about too, as a journalist is, 
the importance of words and language, you know, and, and there's been a little bit of discussion lately about um, kind of these uh, rhetorical catchphrases, if you will. And, you know, like Leon Panetta back in 2012, you know, cyber Pearl Harbor, cyber 9-11 and, you know, all of these kind of warfare language to describe cyber. And over time, you know, when you talk about interdisciplinary as well, right, um, you have uh, nation states or countries starting to think about, you know, physical responses, nuclear response to cyber attacks. I mean, that that seems like a really kind of weighty thing for you to have to to move forward when you're doing reporting on cyber. I mean, how how do you think about that? Again, it's just sort of like making sure that you break down the responsibility of the journalists and anybody who's taking this policy seriously or policy making seriously is to break down those terms and, you know, see what's behind them. So even if you look at the sanctions that were issued yesterday and you read into it, you read a representative Langevin's statement um, and you know enough about the history, you know that this, these intrusions, which the administration has characterized as espionage are not really out of bounds. They're within the rules you know, of, of the norms. Um, You're saying historically speaking. Today. I mean, yeah. the U.S. acknowledges we want to spy too. Like that's still there. So what, what was it about what Russia did, according to the administration, that warranted these sanctions? And you'll, if you read the Treasury Department um, press release, they're very careful to say, you know, we did this because of the scope and the possibility for further intrusion and the history that Russia has with these attacks. Um, well, and I think because we can, right? I mean, Russia could sanction us, but I'm not sure we would care <laughs> yeah, in the United yeah. States, right? So we, we have that weapon. But right. if you go back to the Cold War and a, you know, a spy ring was detected, look, you know, and, you know, conducting espionage, you would, you would, kick diplomats out, which we did. Right. So to me, that seemed almost aligned, Mariam. Um, the sanctions seem new, but I don't know, better than launching missiles, I guess. At least well, from my the other part of it is like, and this, uh, my personal opinion, um, is that this comes in when you look at, you know, what's going on, what happened with Iran and the, the attack there. It's not clear that it was a cyber attack. It might've been explosions. It might have been explosions. You're talking, the, on you're talking the, the loss of power yes, over the uh, Natans. last weekend, I think, about a week ago, early, mm -hmm. mid-April. Okay. Yeah. And but like to Rachel's point, right, it's about escalation and whether you're you see a cyber attack as a reason to escalate into a physical attack or vice versa. Um, and I think language like cyber Pearl Harbor <laughs> will cause elected officials and others to say, God, we got to do something. You know, we can't just sit here, you know, even though we've both been doing the kind of espionage, um, you know, operations. We both, by both, I mean, governments in general, all we've all been. Yeah. So, so in, in I, I forget the, the year, but president Obama talked about a red line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think he was talking in, in the context of Syria as, as, as I recall, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you, how do you look at that as a correspondent in cyber? Like, where do you draw the line? Like, 
Should we have sanctioned the Russians for the case of, of, of Sunburst? Should we have expelled diplomats? Or should we, was that an appropriate response? And we should have just allowed them to continue to do what all nations try to do and continue to... I mean, when do you when do you say enough is enough? Get out of my wallet. Get out of my house. Get out of my systems. Eric, what do you think? That, that's way above my pay grade, Eric. <laughs> I mean, uh, Mine too. That's why I'm asking. Um, but uh, I think Obama, in terms of the line that he drew, Obama said, "Don't you don't steal intellectual property and don't cause physical effects." The spying stuff. Is fair game. Now, like I said before, many, many would argue it is. Many would say it's not. Well, in terms of what Obama said, you know, fair, fair point. Yeah, um, yeah. Just to answer your question, you know, like in terms of the solar winds thing, there were sorts of new um, considerations, if you will, to, to 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 factor in, right? Like the scale. Like I think it was sixteen thousand is the number the treasury cited or the administration cited for where they could have made further intrusion. Correct. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's maybe that's something that's different about this case that warrants the sanctions. I don't know. Many many would argue they were responsible. (laughs) That's a good point. You know, Dmitry Alperovitch, who's who's been on the show, um, he would argue that the, the Russians were responsible. They were conducting espionage. That's, that's within the laws of the land mm-hmm. as we commonly mm-hmm. accept it. But I think many people would say the Chinese on the exchange server attacks were irresponsible and we should really address that. I guess, how do you think about covering the space? Like as you hear policymakers and, and you hear experts in the space talk from their opinion side, how, how, do you, how do you sort through all of that? It seems so complex, right. let alone reporting on it. Right. First of all, I am very careful to, and not all publications do this, and it's always annoying. Um, I am always very careful to say alleged or, you know, suspected or, you know, even go further and say who is alleging. Um, so way before when the USG, the um, the Uniformed uh, Cyber Group, UCG, um, uh when the administration said likely Russian origin, I always quote that very exactly. (laughs) It's like you said at the beginning, Eric, attribution is hard and the FBI will be the first to tell you that these attacks are more and more becoming hybrid attacks where Mm -hmm. you've got, you know, state actors and you've got uh, private criminals and sometimes the state actors will pay the cyber criminals and sometimes, you know, this stuff gets released even from the NSA in the past onto the onto the world and and then other actors use it. So it's like and then you can also mask IP addresses. So, right, like, right. you know, I am not I don't want to poo poo the attribution experts at the FBI um, at all. but. I do want to acknowledge, and I think it's important for diplomacy reasons to acknowledge that even, even when the FBI makes um, uh, an indictment, right. they say, this is, an, you have to say alleged, you know? So yeah. 
in terms of how I handle it to your question, very carefully. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting you mentioned the the phrase cyber diplomacy because it's it's something that, you know, I'm always interested in as well. And, you know, we talk about policy, global policy, you know, kind of coming together and the potential of a cyber UN. I mean, what, what do you think is the way forward here for us to kind of find some common ground, um, you know, globally, right, where, where it's n- not such a street fight necessarily, um, but, you know, can we find peace in these times, if you will? Yeah, again, I'm not a policymaker and like somebody should pay me for this opinion, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I'm happy to give yes. my opinion. Um, surprise, journalists have these. Um, I do think that, if it's done correctly, cyber diplomacy is a way forward. Like I do, I don't think that you should be talking about these issues in a silo or in different silos. So like, and, and I think it should be taken further than what we've had so far. So like, for example, you know, what Langevin, Representative Langevin and Representative McCall and others are trying to do with the Cyber Diplomacy Act is have the State Department have a an office, a bureau, whatever you want to call it, where a place where they're not just handling cyber, but they're handling cyber and issues of uh, of trade and human mm-hmm. rights and all of these other wow. factors that mm-hmm. intersect. Like, you know, you have a better chance, I think, of saying, of dealing with this in a comprehensive way. You know, I could be wrong, but that's kind of my instinct. Yeah. It's Eric, you look flummoxed. (laughs) I'm I'm just trying to process that. And and, and what comes to mind is I don't know that the United States or any sovereign nation in the world has the ability to really control that like we once might have. Yeah. Like I said, I could be wrong. So like, let's, let's take. An example. So like China, if you want to say China, you know, you have to do right by the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Right, which which we're trying to say. Yeah, we are trying to say say that. Um, But we also want them to stop stealing intellectual property that they've been accused of doing. You know, is it harder to get them to do both of those things if you're you know, if you're asking them to do both of those things in the same place and same pl- time in the same context, or is it easier to say, to separate them out and say, you know, I don't know. It's a hard question. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a professional negotiator. <laughs> I mean, I, I, not my area either. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, we, we had an agreement with the Chinese. I think they've, Clearly violated that a bunch. I'm sure we violated from our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Like that's that's a great question. Like how do you how do you link those together and get behavior? Here's something I will say. Right. So far, we haven't really been doing it, so we might as well try. Right. You know. I I like that because I I think a lot of folks who've been in cyber a long time and you know we had Evan Wolf on and it was really refreshing because he has optimism for the path ahead hmm. you know but a lot yeah. of folks who've been in this industry for a long time it's you know i you know our 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 CTO here kind of explains you know it's like pushing a, a dead horse up a hill you know they just it's so hard no. to get things done you know and and 
But we have to have optimism to your point and, you know, why you're a reporter, right, that that we will find this path forward. The legitimate counterpoint and in, in the China example is um, on President Trump's attempt to blend cybersecurity with trade. Um, and, you know, that didn't really go over well with a lot of folks. Right. Um, so like, right, when, because we want our cheap TVs and we want our, whatever is made. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, but, but the, the cyber example being that, um, you know, when we tried to block ZTE or when we did, and then he, he was mm -hmm. like, well, we'll reverse that if you give us all this, you know, cheaper prices on the soybeans or whatever. Um, that, you know, Congress was like, no, there's you can't trade security for the you know, cheaper right. prices. We're willing to deal with a, a, a right. known issue if you buy our material. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is crazy to me because it's like we have a problem, but we're willing to overlook it or it's not as big a problem maybe is the way to look at it than selling soybeans or pork or whatever it may yeah. be right. or yeah. allowing American companies to produce in China and then export. I think another facet of this that's pretty important is the standards bodies and mm -hmm. having U.S. representation there, not just corporate, but U.S. government representation. Um, mm -hmm. And this has been a bit of a tension, I think, because when you think if you look at, um, I think in general, people have said, like, let's have more U.S. involvement in standards groups to combat China, right? Because China's got, right. they've flooded the standards making bodies. Well, they're being, they're smart, right? The economic security, it is smart. if you will. <laughs> it is smart. They're, that's where the policies are made. And so, and, and if you say, you know, what qualifies as 5G is such and such thing, and then that goes out in the global marketplace, you're stuck with that. So yes, it is smart and um, for them to be doing that. Now, I, and I think like I was saying, like people generally in the policymaking space industry, everybody agrees there should be more US representation. But I think if you look at, um, so ITI, the in industry and in, uh, information, in, in, information technology industry council, it's always tricky. Um, but these are the big tech groups, right? Um, in response to the governments, the U.S. government's attempt to limit information communications technology um, or to, uh, that, that can be used um, in the U.S., um, they have said, you know, we don't want imports of these ICT um, uh, supply chain elements to come from foreign adversaries. Now, the, and I think in, 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 re in response to that and the executive order that's coming, I think it's actually more the right. executive order. So after Solar Winds, the, ex the administration said that we're coming with this executive order, we're going to require more of software companies. They're going to have mm -hmm. to adhere to certain standards. Right. Um, these tech companies, responded telling the u.s government we don't want you to get involved in the standards process let leave that up to businesses <laughs> and so i think there's going to be a tension that's going to continue to get teased out there because we want they want 
you know, policymakers, the community has called for greater participation, U.S. participation on standards groups. But does that mean government, U.S. government participation or U.S. industry participation? I think that's going to be something that starts to get teased out a little bit. I think you need a little of both, right? So right. you need a little NIST and and the like in there. Mm-hmm. But you also need commercial America represented because I've right. seen on the government side, oftentimes you'll you'll observe the government is way out there in the theoretical, not practical, mm-hmm. or they're not up with the times and they aren't dealing with the practical. They aren't dealing with the future because they're dealing with the here and now. Right. You know, the government technology wise tends to be a laggard outside of aerospace defense type stuff, in my experience, technology-wise, mm-hmm. I would say. So I, I think you need a mix, Mariam. I, I don't know. That's, that's my experience in a couple of probably decades. reasonable to say you need a mix. Um, but, you know, there's an argument for the government to spend more time on those bodies or for more of the government to be on those bodies so that right. they can be more familiar with the current discussions or debates. Right. Um, including on right. a global level. Now, you know, in terms of the government being laggards, I like to push back on this, Eric, sometimes, because I think that, especially in terms of cybersecurity, <laughs> the government all like tends to get like pushed in this corner and, and, and dismissed as not being up to date. But right. evidence points the other way on this a lot of times. So for example, um, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, you know, they put out this directive on, um, on vulnerability disclosures and they've mm-hmm. sort of pointed the way for timelines for patching and a CISA official came out and I can't remember the exact webinar or whatever it was, but there was an event where um, she came out and said, Government patching timelines exceed industry. They're patching faster. And if you look at the entities that are getting breached, even OPM, OPM was breached because of a third party contractor, which is a private sector, you know. So it's like, at least in the, in the, I think you have to like sort of, I don't think it's fair to say the government sucks a tech because. If you, and I haven't in, said that. Actually, I have said that, but I did not say that on the podcast today. <laughs> um, <laughs> how, about we, how about we agree with the government can suck at tech? But so can everybody, right? right. So, oh, I agree. When, when you right. look at those metrics, the government patches faster. I could probably agree with that statement in some cases, right? right? They don't patch faster than the financial industry. In fact, we have reports, I, I forget the agency, there, there, there's at least one, if not several, that were that were saved in the in the in the sunburst breach because they didn't update solar winds, right? Which is yeah. which was a months months almost a year behind, right? right? So yeah. it it really does depend on the context. Sure, I sure. guarantee the government is not as advanced as the as the financial industry. They're probably more advanced than the dairy industry as a whole. I don't know. I can tell you I'm still dealing with mainframes that were installed in the 60s in some cases in the government. In a lot of commercial cases, we've moved away from that. And in the government, we've moved away from that too. So I think it's a, it's an it depends answer. 
and I, I've asked this, uh, um, and I'll, it's a good reminder to follow up on this request for more granularity on that data. I would love yeah. to see which industries are patching faster than others. Yeah. Um, my point, my final, the final point I'll make about this is SolarWinds has revealed that we don't have incident reporting laws. So we don't really know what number of private sector you know entities are getting breached all the all the time right. um and we do however have the government accountability office to see and to um report on what government entities are doing so right. when i read those fisma reports that come out and it's another horrible report for some poor agency you know it's it's I'm a little sympathetic because it's like, OK, well, here are the things that you didn't do. OK, we'll work on them. Right. But at right, least right. they have that accountability mechanism. Who's mm-hmm. doing that for the private sector? We have no yeah. idea. And it's, well, I it's think there's a difference a- between reporting and accountability and disclosure, though, too. Mm. What do you, you mean? disagree, Rachel? No, no, I, I, I just think, you know, it, you know how I feel about this particular topic. It's the th- for me, it's the threshold issue. Like, you know, how, how do you set mm. thresholds that kind of work for, you know, large, small industry? And you know, I was reading an article earlier this week that banks are saying, you know, um, I guess whatever they've received from the Treasury Department, they feel it's like a very cumbersome, um, you know, notification requirement. I mean, they're just right. you know, churning it out and all this administrative work. And it's not necessarily, you know, delivering the data probably that you know they they're looking for you know it's it's just like paperwork yeah and they're gonna get into some of those threshold issues now um at the end of the day it's it's gonna come down to us i mean there's there's something that you can't really solve for because it's like unless you unless you have auditors in those places you know whether that's government auditors or third-party auditors because mm-hmm. all of this information in, a, in an incident reporting law is going to be self-reported. So how mm. do you verify that they're reporting, you know, an incident that meets the threshold in the first place? Right. Well, we do have auditors commercially for SEC requirements for mm. commercial organizations, right? And, and, and that model, it's, it's not my space, but it appears to work. So who are you, like, who, tell me a little bit more about these auditors you're talking about. Financial auditors. They come in and, and they, they, you know, they audit the books to make sure companies But are, are they doing that following. because somebody's telling them to or because for their own sort of health? Well, no, they have to. As public traded companies, they have okay. to for, you know, for SEC requirements and, and, and regulations, right? They have to do that. So you have an Ernst and Young, Young come in or somebody and audit your books. For, for information security specifically? No, no, no. Okay. For financials. <laughs> for financials. I'm, I'm doing a comparison. Gotcha. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for the financials. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that seems to work pretty well in a couple of ways. One, I think there's a relatively decent level of transparency. Once again, I'm not an expert on this mm-hmm. space. So, you know, I've got a couple of business degrees. But um, from what I've seen, it, I, I think there's a, a relatively decent level of transparency. Um, and I believe it drives behaviors. I can't tell you how many conversations I'm in not just at my level, but when I was even as a sales rep or, or an engineer where we can't do that, the auditors won't allow that. Sure. And like, right? not the business won't allow that. The yeah. auditors won't allow that, yeah. which drove behaviors. Yeah. And maybe that's a, and that's a core thing, right? Like 
that you count on having some sort of uh, verification of those financial practices. <laughs> Thank God, yeah, but right? If, but if we folded, if, if we just simply folded some kind of, of, of infosec disclosure components into the same type of audit, mm -hmm. almost, mm -hmm. did you have any breaches? If so, you, you know, and then obviously defining what's a breach. Well, right. But what do we disclose on? What like, don't we? Where's the where's that line? I think mm -hmm. you, you have to get into the artifacts, though. Right. And I don't want to get out of my depth here. But like, again, it's just like asking them, did you have any incidents? No. Yes. The checkbox. Right. How do you know if they're telling the truth, Eric? That's my point. <laughs> well, maybe they are if they don't look hard enough also. I mean, financials are much more, much more definitive. I mean, right. you wrote an article yesterday I was reading about the DOD testifying back to uh, Congress. I think uh, Senator uh, Blumenthal from, from Connecticut was asking a question about, about solar winds or sunburst, right? Mm -hmm. Was this me or was it my uh, colleague? I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure it was you. They were, they were asking about, you know, Oh, the yeah, DOD, the DOD saying that it, they weren't compromised. Yes. We're I not aware of any compromise, yes, yes, basically. Yes, yes, and yes, I don't yes. want to, I don't want to paraphrase. No, too no, much no. Of, I remember. We're not right. aware of any compromise. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did we meet the disclosure law? We didn't know anything, so we didn't disclose anything. Mm -hmm. right. Is that good? Or do we have a level that we need to dig to that's deeper? Well, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. But um, I do know that. I mean, there are disclosure laws, right, for like PII, personal identifiable information. Um, and so, yeah, again, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I think it's probably easier. <laughs> yeah, nor, nor do I. Yeah. yeah. Right. Rachel probably does. Well, I, Rachel, I what, think what do we, what do we do here, Rachel? I mean, we've got a lot of, we should we just, a lot of questions. We should just, we should invest in you know, um, live in auditors for every entity, <laughs> just <laughs> auditors are infrastructure, oh, president right. Biden. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> and for this week's episode, we're going to leave you with a cliffhanger. Join us again next week as we pick the conversation back up with Mariam until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the point. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes delivered directly to your inbox every Tuesday. Take care and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.